1: Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. Joining me this week, as always, is our science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. But you know what Sam Schultz isn't ignorant of? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Don't don't do this to me. <laughs> the Vampire Diaries. Can I you explain know, to me how not. the vampires work in the Vampire Diaries? Well,
0: they use they at the beginning of the show in the first like season. Like normal of vampires, the show, they can have, they go out uh, and can they go out in the sunlight? They need a magic grain to go out in the sunlight. Grain? So no, no, a magic ring. A ring. ring. A ring. A ring. ring a ring. a piece of
1: toast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They need a magic <laughs> grain. <laughs> that would actually be yeah, pretty really cool. It. It's quinoa.
0: So yeah, when you first meet uh, Stefan Salvatore, the main vampire of the show, he's got Uh this big ugly ring on oh and he can go outside that's what he needs to go outside it's a daylight ring and a witch has to make it for you and eventually everybody just has one.
1: Oh, it's okay it's not just like
0: one you can get more so no it's not like the highlander where you have to like stab stefan salvatore to get the ring well in the first season that is kind of the way it is okay. there's like there's only two and it's like oh we need these rings but then like the next few seasons it's just like oh yeah my necklace so is they're one.
1: just people who drink blood now
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah do they like garlic uh, yeah, they can eat garlic. That's a very specific, There's a scene where where Stefan's cutting garlic and he's like, "I love Italian food." <laughs> <laughs> so
1: That was made up.
0: Yeah, that you disregard up. that piece. Of they the can't war. turn okay. into bats, which is really dumb. I think they should be able to turn into bats. I think that that's like the coolest vampire power. I think. Yeah, but it's really hard. I understand turning into a cloud of bats, but turning yeah. into one bat—that's just against. Oh, it's all hard scientifically. Science. I thought you meant yeah. like. I thought you meant like the graphics would be hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just conservation of matter is kind of a big deal. Give you one really heavy bat.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, a large it's, bat. It's the, yeah, it's just all the pro. It's like a neutron star <laughs> inside of the bat. Yeah, infinitely so, dense bat. It's like, yeah, yeah, perfect. You've solved the problem. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Do, so they do drink blood. Yeah. Do they kill people?
0: Oh, all the time. There's some okay. of them that drink blood so hard that they make the head pop off of the person whose blood they're drinking. That's not how that works. They're called rippers.
2: They suck so hard that it just goes whoop. Or do they bite it? Into- Who
0: really could say? <laughs> but they, they're going, they grab a person, they bite, and then at the end of the biting, their head just f- pops right off their body. It's really cool, actually. But they're bad vampires. We don't like them. <laughs> Because
2: so they make the heads kids, pop off instead of yeah. just
0: killing. There are good and bad vampires. So is there like, there
1: are there some like Lestat who just like uh, stumble around the streets of of
0: Paris, France and chew the heads off of rats? Uh, oh, yeah, that's Stefan. He's like that, except oh, he's okay. secretly a ripper and he can't control what? himself. So he has to drink animal blood because if he gets one drop of human blood he'll go nuts and he'll start popping people's heads off
2: does he pop animals oh, no. heads off
0: no but, he can drink that stuff normal he could like eat a cat it's really not like the idea just
1: like, yeah. just, like
0: yeah. just like mice with
1: just <laughs> boom boom boom
0: boom <laughs> yeah. boom boom
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're shotgunning mice and their heads are just flying out
0: there yeah these are all better <laughs> ideas than the vampire diary explores <laughs> <laughs> Is it like the Princess Diaries? No, they write in a diary like one time in the first episode, and then... then There's no diaries after that. There's a few, and every, like, once a season, somebody will write in a diary. Dear diary,
1: I love garlic! Pop, pop!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah why are you asking me about this to make me embarrassed <laughs>
1: <laughs> no you seem to know a lot
0: I've, I, I i i feel like i should be aware of how it works it's a good show
2: it's an every okay. sort of knowledge i think then
0: there's werewolves too have even gone into the werewolves do they also drink blood no they Do they also food. pop heads off they could if they wanted to then there's half wolf half vampire they can do what? all they can do all of the above
2: Whoa. okay yeah are there witch wolf vampire
0: no you can't be magic you can't be magical and be a vampire or oh that's, okay. that's, that's, that's a rule that's a real rule. rule yeah if you okay. get turned into one of those you lose your magic except Stefan's mom <laughs> <laughs> there's always well, one who- spoilers <laughs> okay gonna warm up for halloween guys we're getting in the spirit
1: ready so every week here on SciShow tangents we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts and vampire diaries facts while also (laughs) trying to stay on topic our panelists are playing for glory and for hank bucks and i'll be awarding those as we play so at the end of the episode one of them can be crowned the winner but as always we got to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week it's from me
0: Oh, a treat!
1: A treat for the for the people who aren't uh, watching on video. You you only know that the treat made a number of noises. Yeah. <laughs> a thing we've known through modernity. Atoms are unchanged for eternity. Even when they change, their chemicals.
0: <gasps>
1: An oxygen is oxygen. And hydrogen is hydrogen Always the same They never change Whoa But then they do Big atoms can decay From one element to another cascade Particles emitted They're emitted Particles emitted They're emitted Whoa Oh! Oh. They're radioactive Radioactive Whoa They're radioactive, (laughs) radioactive No one tell Imagine Dragons. We didn't get the rights to this song. Please don't tell on us. We'll get in trouble.
2: Uh You're allowed to say that was really cool, but you have to be kind of secretive about it. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: When you're tweeting about it. Uh
1: (laughs) The topic for the day is radioactive. Specifically, (laughs) I could have kept going because there's other kinds of radioactive,
0: I feel like. You're saving that for your new album, right? But I got to save
1: it for the new album.
0: (laughs) Uh, you know i think you committed a crime that weird al doesn't commit where weird al changes the uh the 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 chorus i think that's where you're gonna get in trouble (laughs) (laughs) i changed the chorus what is it
1: they're not i'm they're radioactive oh Uh, see okay we're fine we're fine yeah (laughs) so our topic for the day is radioactive sari what does radioactive mean did i get everything in my 85 word song i
2: mean you the gist of it, which is all we can ever hope to do with the definition okay. section, mm-hmm. so uh, radioactivity is just radiation emitted by a radioactive material, and that can be <laughs> lots of different forms. It can be alpha particles. Beta particles, (laughs)
0: neutrons.
1: (laughs) These are are specific things. One of those things is like a high-energy electron, maybe, or photon, or what are they?
2: Beta particles are electrons that are not attached to atoms, so like spinning out an electron. Alpha particles are the chunky ones, so they're... Uh, two protons, two neutrons.
1: Oh, so big, big boys.
2: Big, large boys. Lar- that's
1: basically a that's basically a nucleus at that point.
2: Yes, basically like a little bigger than a high... That's uh, like a helium ish size. Yeah, it's a thing. helium
1: nucleus. That's
2: an yeah. alpha particle, the giant one. Uh, mm-hmm. beta particles are like spewing out a little electron. The third is a neutron, which is like a hydrogen kind of it's a little smaller, but spewing that out. And then there's electromagnetic radiation, which is like. Right x-rays gamma rays visible light the, and
1: that's just like light yeah light yeah light and different and, and but gamma rays are like light that'll that'll do you a damage
2: yeah there's light that will <laughs> not do you damage and then there is light that is high energy enough that
0: mm-hmm. can, it'll get a, in there into get into
2: atoms and exactly. molecules yeah and start yeah. messing things up and like mm-hmm. so
0: radioactivity is it Pew, pew, pew. shooting is that what radioactivity is something shooting off of something i read a lot about radioactivity i couldn't make heads or tails of it oh wow especially nuclear nuclear so, energy so
1: there's the radiation okay this is the confusing thing there's radiation that comes off of radioactive things and something that's radioactive is i think all it's really saying is that like there are waves there are there are, there's emissions coming off of this thing um, but I think that in general, when we say radioactive, we mean things that are um, emitting particles, like actual pieces of of themselves. And when that happens, they can actually decay into other elements.
0: Okay. Can we talk about how you said "Oh wow!" after I said I read about it and couldn't make heads or tails of it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know about
0: Vampire Diary. You said the thing <laughs> well, I said. No, I it was wasn't, right. Yeah.
1: It's not. Yeah, it's not. Uh, that's, that's the, that's, I, I wasn't oh wowing you. I was oh wowing the like terminology mess that we got ourselves oh, okay, into because we okay. didn't really understand what was going on when we first started naming this stuff. Okay.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Interesting. That, that is the big problem. It's like, depends on where you draw the circle because technically if you wanted to be stubborn about it, you could mm-hmm. pr- claim that. Well, like, that, like so my many. LED
0: things. is radioactive yeah, right. because yeah. it's emitting lights. Is a, a light bulb's radioactive because it's, yeah. okay. I see. Yeah. I see.
2: Well, because everything. To some extent, or a lot of things are emitting small doses of radiation. So, like, and there's like
0: a background radiation everywhere. Yeah, there's that right? cosmic that's, that, yeah, radiation
1: absolutely.
2: in the universe. I'm
1: radioactive both because I have potassium in me that has some unstable potassium, a little bit of pit- unstable, but also because I emit
0: infrared light hmm. because I'm warm. Mm mm-hmm. hmm. That's nice. So where does this word come from that we're so confused about?
2: Yeah, radioactivity. So I looked up radioactivity, but I assume radioactive is similar. Um, it's fairly recent, which is probably why we're so confused about it, because radioactivity comes from the French radioactivité, which I
0: think is like, <laughs> uh, it's like just, uh, just yeah. the same word, yeah. Which uh-huh. was
2: made up by Pierre and Marie Curie in oh. 1898. They were like, Oh, yeah. what is this new element? They like they had some predecessors who had studied uranium and the the fact that it emits radioactive particles, but they were the ones to first use radioactivity as an adjective or a noun, whatever part radioactive as an adjective this is a science show a this isn't
0: a grammar show
2: <laughs> to describe what they were working on in uranium and polonium and radium. And they were like, radioactivity is a property that these things have um. And further back than that, I tried to trace it. There are several different ways that we started incorporating like radio into words, and especially Mm. in recent history, where like radio means the machine, the radio, and then we tack that onto words. But Mm. at this point, the the use of radio in radioactivity came from the latin radius meaning ray oh, yeah. and so it okay. came more from the idea of a ray of light a beam of light and the the emission property of it hmm. to get into that like the the radiantness of it as opposed to the straight rod in the middle of a circle
1: it's a little bit frustrating to me that that a light is radiation. Now, I, I, I know that that's ridiculous. Um, but it does seem like we we got this word that uh, turned bad. You know, was, mm-hmm. at first it was like, this is interesting. And then it was like, this is cool. This and then this is good. We should shine it into our eyeballs. <laughs> and then I was like, actually, it's terrible. We should be terrified of it. And that has lasted a long time, and now people sort of like radiation is synonymous with ionizing, dangerous, right. cancer-causing radiation. Whereas it's sort of important to realize
0: we we also get to like people use that word for visible light. It was going to be a Halloween topic, but then I moved it up a little bit because it's Radi- scary. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you could definitely make a uh, Hulk. A giant, with it. a giant ant, yep. a giant mantis, giant mm-hmm. octopus. It's a really, take your a pick. Spider giant spider. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: it's gonna be time to go into the quiz portion of our show where we're gonna be playing uh, radio radioactivity. This or that. So our bodies are constantly uh, interacting with radiation that's coming from space, from materials found on Earth, from things that we make. And the National Council on Radiation Protection and Measurements estimates the average person in the U.S. experiences around uh, 6.2 millisieverts per year. So about half of that is from natural background radiation, and the other half is from man-made things like medical stuff, industrial sources. Fortunately, this amount of radiation does not seem to do us very much harm. Researchers have measured the radiation doses we experience from a variety of sources, so today we're going to be playing This or That, Radioactive Edition, where I will present to you two things, and you will have to guess which one is more radioactive. Ooh. Radioactive. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. whoa.
1: <laughs> whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so first we're going to start out with medicine. Which one of the following things requires a larger dose of radiation? An x-ray of your chest or a CT scan of your
0: chest? Couldn't tell you what a CT scan is exactly. <laughs> a CAT scan. That's what oh. they call it. Yeah, it's a CAT scan. Okay. Now I know at least what the word is, but I'm still not really sure what that does. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's understandable. Uh. You're not old enough to to need to know all the medical things that happen. Uh. Ah. Your body not broken down
0: yet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just read a a biography of Antoine Lavoisier, the guy who uh, basically sort of invented the modern concepts of how chemistry works. And Mm -hmm. as he was uh, in his little uh, cell getting ready to be put to death uh, during the French Revolution, he wrote a letter (laughs) to his cousin and it said something to the effect of, at least I have been spared the indignities of old age.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's nice
1: <laughs> he was putting a good spin on it yeah, yeah he was like I getting old kind of sounds like it's awful hard anyway yeah, chop my i don't, don't want to have to learn with a ct scan <laughs> yeah.
0: all right i guess it's probably ct scan because x-ray i feel like it's like this is the, the trick it's a trick question basically. that's
2: what i think too i think it's a ct scan because i i think it takes longer i feel like an x-ray You just mm. go Bleh. You get x-rays mm. at the dentist, even in your chest. You could probably do it pretty fast.
1: Well, you are correct, and all the people who know about medicine were screaming the answer to you because CT c- CT scans are actually just a bunch of x-rays.
0: Oh, yeah. So okay. you, <laughs> take a, you take x-ray
1: images from a lot of different angles, and that requires, obviously, a larger radiation dose than a single x-ray would. Oh, that's fine. Uh, yeah. So they, they both produce ionizing radiation uh, that involves high-energy wavelengths that allow the particles to penetrate the tissue, and a chest x-ray has an average radioactive dose of 0.1 millisieverts. A CT scan of the chest has an average radiation dose of seven millisieverts.
0: And we get six per year normally? Is that what you said?
1: We got 6.2 a year. That's right. Okay. So yeah, you only get a CT scan if you need one. Okay. That's for sure. It's
2: like 70 70 little chest X-rays going pew, 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 pew.
1: And the radiation that doesn't get absorbed in these things, that's the stuff that makes it through and produces the final image. And the doctors use these effective dose values to understand the risk that the procedures might pose to the body overall and to Mm. balance that with the potential benefits of using these scans. Round number two We've moved from medicine to travel. Which of the following exposes airline passengers and crew to more radiation, a flight from Frankfurt to San Francisco, or a flight from Hong Kong to Hartford?
0: Hong Kong to Hartford? Gosh. Frankfurt to San Francisco. I feel like the polls have something to maybe, like, I don't know. You're going over (laughs) the top or something.
2: I'm going to guess Hong Kong to San Francisco because...
0: You can't. You got to guess Hong Kong to Hartford. (laughs) <laughs>
2: <Harvard>. <laughs> I'm going to guess Hong Kong to Hartford. Uh, because just to... I, I can't logic through it. This is beyond what I can do. So uh, the worst... The best I can do is guess.
1: So as you have correctly surmised, space... Uh, is a source of radiation. There's X-rays, there's high-energy particles, there's gamma rays, and they also react with our atmosphere and create secondary radiation that can reach us. And while you fly, you are at a higher altitude, and that means you're less shielded from all that radiation. There are other factors that impact the amount of radiation that flyers experience as well, like the duration of their flight, of course, Mm -hmm. and also the distance from the equator, which makes Mm -hmm. a difference because of how Earth's magnetic field pushes radiation towards the poles. Good job, Sam. You were right, but you still got the
0: wrong answer. Well, I wasn't sure where any of those places were exactly, so that was a problem.
1: (laughs) So, in 2016, researchers used models of solar activity and its effect on the energy of particles impacting the Earth to estimate the average radiation doses that uh, different passengers would experience on different flight routes. And with their model, they calculated that on average, a passenger from Frankfurt to San Francisco experiences an average dose of 70.7 microsieverts, Mm -hmm. not millisieverts, so even smaller, Mm -hmm. while a passenger from Hong Kong to Hartford experiences 93.2 microsieverts. And in general, they found that the highest dosage flights were ultra long haul flights between US and Asia, a lot of those, and above the halfway point between the equator and the North Pole. I'm surprised that you could go from Hong Kong to Hartford. It's Hartford. Yeah, Yeah. no offense to Hartford. (laughs) The
2: Hartford International Airport, you know? Yeah.
1: Can, can, can you really do that we can't we can go to like four places from Missouri. Yeah, they can go to hong kong that doesn't seem fair it doesn't seem fair at all and our last section of this or that it's 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 the food edition which one of the following has more radiation one kilogram of beer or one kilogram of bananas
0: uh beer or bananas beer i don't know we talked about like whiskey barrels having the nuclear bomb radiation in them or whatever so i'll just go with beer do you put beer in barrels i don't know you don't. Some <laughs> even must. I feel like I watched an old Popeye. Yeah, i sure cart- used to. I feel like yeah. I watched a Popeye cartoon where beer was in a barrel
2: with a with the XX whatever on it <laughs> yeah. and glugs yeah. it out of the barrel. Or isn't that what
0: isn't that what Dumbo is drinking out of barrels or something <laughs> like that? <I> don't know. <laughs> well, what do you think?
2: I think it's bananas because of the potassium, but yeah, I don't know what else is in thing. beer. Beer is like a lot of carbs and water, and I don't think that's very radioactive.
1: Sari's right. Damn. It it is just, it's a lot of carbs and water. (laughs) (laughs) But all of our foods, to some degree, have some radioactivity, in part because of carbon isotopes, and there's going to be carbon in anything you eat. But there's also other elements, like uh, potassium 40 or radium 226. The units used to report these values are in picocuries per kilogram, where a picocuri describes the amount of ionizing radiation released when an element goes through radioactive decay and emits energy. So in the case of Bananas versus beer, bananas have around 3,520 picocuries per kilogram, and beer has 390. Luckily, the amount of radiation from a banana doesn't really add up to very much when we eat them. However, the radioactivity of bananas has inspired an unofficial radioactivity scale called the banana equivalent dose mm. to describe the radiation exposure in terms of bananas, where 1 BED <laughs> equals 0.1 microsieverts. Scientists left having fun. That's right. <laughs> All right, Sam, you have one point, and Sari has three going into the break. Next, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the fact off.
0: SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet.
1: Your money is like a bean. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil.
1: You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans?
0: I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A a cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans
1: with your expensive beans.
0: (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have.
2: (laughs) Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, answer your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com tangents. That's rocketmoney.com tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Welcome back, everybody! It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have all brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind, and after they have presented their facts, I will judge and award them Hank Bucks any way I see fit. To decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. The fungus Cladosporium spherospermum seems to thrive (laughs) in the presence of radiation. So naturally, research sent a sample to space, monitoring it for 30 days aboard the International Space Station. Their experiments demonstrated that a 1.7 millimeter thick bed of fungus could lower Mm -hmm. radiation levels in the area by 2.17% compared to an area that wasn't shielded by the fungi. Based on their results, the researchers estimated how thick of a layer of cladosporium they would need to create Earth-like conditions on Mars. How thick would this fungus blockade need to be?
2: What, what units do you want?
1: Uh, let's do feet. Oh, feet. feet. Oh, sorry, I gave, maybe I gave something away.
2: <laughs> that's big. That's uh, yeah, I was gonna get it wrong by- Also <gasps>
1: meters would be fine.
2: Okay, I'm imagining swaddling myself in a blanket <laughs> of fungus. What would make nice. me feel safe on Mars?
0: I think 20 feet.
2: Oh, that's a lot. Okay, I am gonna say two meters.
0: It's just dang mushrooms. Oh. Sari says two meters. It's two point three meters. Wow!
2: I my mental my mind palace did me well.
1: <laughs> Just picturing being being enveloped by two two meters of fungus. fungus on every side. Yeah, and do I feel
2: safe now? Yes. I my feel safe yes. now.
1: <laughs> That's the only way to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Just as long as you have a snorkel.
2: Yeah. Yes, right. a straw to <laughs> <laughs> breathe out.
1: So that means you get to decide who goes
0: first.
2: Sam, you can go first.
0: Oh, no. I'm taking the
2: coward's way out.
0: I wasn't prepared for this. (laughs) The Boy Scouts of America, just for those of you out there who don't know, is a youth organization devoted to teaching kids junk-like tying knots, catching fish, identifying plants, whittling, good forest-based activities that all blue-blooded American children ought to know. Uh, When you get good enough at these things and pass some tests, you get a little badge to put on your sash, and those with many badges are most esteemed among Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. But in addition to your more traditionally outdoorsy array of badges, there are some weird badges, like dentistry or fingerprinting, or one that indirectly led to a Michigan scout's backyard being declared a Superfund site, Atomic Energy. David Hahn, a Boy Scout, was awarded the Merit Badge in Atomic Energy in 1991 after completing some rudimentary tests and projects like building a model of a nuclear reactor with cans and straws and household items. Uh, But David Hahn was also a naturally born scientist and had been studying chemistry since he was 10, inspired by the Golden Book of Chemistry Experiments, which was given to him by his grandpa. Uh, And he had spent the intervening four years doing things like learning how to make nitroglycerin and blowing up his bedroom numerous (laughs) times. (laughs) To the point where he had been exiled to his backyard as kind of like his little laboratory where he was doing his chemistry experiments. So David at this point was a bit drunk off the power of chemistry and decided that he didn't just need to leave his exploration of nuclear power at a mere model Uh, so he started sending out letters to various nuclear energy organizations (laughs) including the Nuclear Regulatory Commission posing as a high school teacher and asking for educational material to use in his classes like where in the natural and man-made world one could find radioactive material. (laughs) And they sent him all kinds of info back, enough that he eventually figured out that uh, he could create purified thorium out of parts of gas lanterns combined with lithium from $1,000 worth of batteries. So he just poured lithium on this. Uh, (laughs) Then he put a Geiger counter on his car's dashboard and drove around town, finding all of the radium he could from old watch faces and instrument panels and used that to irradiate his thorium, which uh, he then combined with americium? Americium? Americium. Oh, shoot. I wasn't even even close <laughs> which is what's in smoke detectors that makes them detect smoke it's new it's radioactive as well and he built a breeder reactor which I don't entirely understand what a breeder reactor is or how it works but it's a reactor that can somehow make more fissile material than it uses. And they were a major source of interest of nuclear scientists in the 50s, but a couple of the major experimental breeder reactors ended in near meltdown, so they lost popularity. Uh, But Mm -hmm. David made one, and it worked. (laughs) But it started working too well, so well that radiation was becoming detectable up and down his block, so he took the reactor apart and hid it in his car trunk but in a case of weird mistaken identity, a cop ended up searching his trunk for something not even related to him, basically, and ran across the reactor and started messing with it. And David said, I wouldn't do that. That's radioactive. <laughs> then uh, a few days later, flash, flash forward a few days later, the FBI, the EPA, and the NRC are in David's backyard detecting background radiation 50 times higher than normal background radiation radiation. And ultimately, his shed was declared a super fun site, dismantled, sealed in barrels, and buried in the Utah desert alongside material for <laughs> nuclear bomb testing. And, and all of this after he had already gotten his merit badge. So the lesson is, as story editor Alex Billow put it, when I sent him this story, there is such thing <laughs> as trying too hard. <laughs> oh don't i know it <laughs> um <laughs>
1: that's amazing i'm not sure what my favorite part is <laughs> the part where he drove around with a geiger counter on his dashboard so he could find radium watch faces
0: yeah that and apparently that worked that seemed like it was a bit of a ostentatious like move on his part but yeah. it actually accidentally did end up working out because he passed an antique store and it like went crazy and then he found an old clock oh, and inside yeah. of the old clock he found a vial of radium that had yeah. been left so he could like touch up the the <gasps> clock face oh wow and that was what he used mostly to to shoot oh, his thorium cool. with but i think probably the best best part is that they buried his shed in the desert <laughs> i think that's my favorite part too <laughs> they put it in barrels and took it away and put it in the desert
2: I like the email or the the sending letters to the government pretending to be a teacher. That is also
0: very good. (laughs) All
1: right, Sari, what do you have to compete with uh, Nuclear Boy?
2: So certain radioactive isotopes of elements have an ominous nickname they're bone seekers they tend to accumulate in our bones if they get into the human body somehow so for example strontium 90 is in the same periodic table group as calcium so one of the columns and acts chemically similar to it this radioactive form has 38 protons like a stable strontium atom but what makes it an isotope is it's whopping 52 neutrons Um, And in the late 1950s and early 1960s, as nuclear testing was ramping up and isotopes like strontium-90 were getting released into the environment as waste products, there was a lot of curiosity about how much people were getting affected by them. What's happening here? Uh, So the physician, Louise Rice, along with her husband and some other scientists, mostly environmental scientists, led a project where she was basically the tooth fairy, but in a scientific way. Oh, and by that I th- I mean,
1: That's a great, I was like, are they gonna are they gonna grave rob? <laughs> no, it's, Are they gonna grave rob? It's much that's not allowed. Than grave robbing. <laughs> um,
2: and by that I mean her team collected and analyzed thousands of baby teeth from kids in the St. Louis, Missouri area in the U.S. for their Strontium-90 content. Because
0: <laughs> why it's a bone not? Seeker. They're around. Yeah. There's plenty of teeth. We're not doing anything with all these teeth.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, why keep them? That's creepy. It's so much
2: easier than grave (laughs) robbing. They just gotta get in touch with the tooth
1: fairy and be like, here's a grant.
2: And so in a massive public outreach effort, Rice's team visited schools and other community centers and explained to families how strontium-90 from nuclear tests could make its way into human bones by being sprinkled into water or dairy products and then making its way into food. That mm-hmm. the kids are eating and they talk, and then to-
1: it seeks your bones,
2: yeah, it seeks your bones and gets in there and just makes a little home, uh, swaddling itself up in the rest of the bone, like me and the fungus. And <laughs> they talked to caregivers for consent and spread scientific literacy, which is honestly very exciting to be able to uh-huh. say about an old science experiment. Thrilling. <laughs> seems ethically sound. Yeah. Uh, And families that wanted to participate sent in geographic information about where they've lived, their kids' baby teeth, and in return got a fun little button that said, I gave my tooth to science, which in my nerdy opinion is much more fun than a couple of Uh quarters.
1: Well, (laughs) get both, ideally.
2: After after the first two years of analysis on over 65,000 teeth, Rice published a paper on November 24th, 1961 in the journal Science and reported that they did find elevated levels of strontium-90 and therefore the stuff getting into the environment from nuclear tests was also getting into humans through children, but also (laughs) adults, presumably. And this paper, along with some testimony from her husband in front of the Senate, helped influence the U.S. government to sign on to the Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty Mm -hmm. in 1963. That's awesome. there was still plenty of tooth research to do. This team kept collecting baby teeth from St. Louis kids through 1970 and ended up with around 325 teeth in total wow. uh, and further analysis led to findings like children born in 1963 had around 50 times as much strontium-90 as huh. children born in 1950 which was before many but not all nuclear tests and so there was a pretty big difference and the whole using teeth to study radioactivity things stuck around as later studies showed that strontium-90 in baby teeth decreased by around half in kids <laughs> born in nineteen sixty eight after the treaty had been put into effect.
1: And oh. so we had this like
2: peak wow.
0: around
1: peak
2: nuclear testing and then the the governmental policies, environmental policies really did help people be less radioactive and even nowadays the baby tooth survey inspires other initiatives to detect various kinds of pollution that can end up in bones and impact human health and it's very cool to me that this weird wonderful collaboration between scientists and the public and a scary amount of teeth existed and people were excited about it
1: that's wild um three hundreds of thousands of teeth is a significant uh, haul if you get them to the Tooth Fairy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, oh, is that part of the deal? Like, somebody's gotta be funding the research. Is it the Tooth Fairy? Big Tooth.
2: Could be. Tooth big Fairy tooth. is very interested in <laughs> this niche field of research.
1: <laughs> I like the idea that there's a bunch of Tooth Fairies and a lot of them are, like, independent like operators, they have small businesses, yeah. but then there's like one that's Gone like corporate. sort of rolled them all up. It's like a corporate. Bi- it's called yes. Big Tooth. Yes. Gosh, I thought I thought Sam had it in the bag. Yeah, this
0: one's pretty good though. And she got three points. So let's
1: just say that Sam got a hundred points in the first section, and Sarah got three hundred points in the first section. Oh, okay. I'm just. I, I just feel like I need more Scaling more decimal places yeah. to work with. Yeah. Um, and, and for these facts, I think that Sari's was probably like a 500 point fact and Sam's like a 450 point fact, which are still, both are very high, but, that's, but I got that's, more than Sam. In- and yeah. that leads me to believe that Sari is the winner of the episode. <sighs> wow. They, they ground up hundreds of thousands
2: of teeth. I also have never really reckoned with just how many teeth are out there.
1: Like, this was their 12 <laughs> years of actively collecting with people's consent. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's not... It, it, it's it's by far not anywhere near the majority of the teeth. No. It's a tiny fraction it's of the teeth.
2: W- we're fighting about sand. <laughs>
0: Tooth
2: as a renewable resource. We keep making yeah. babies. We keep making teeth. Yeah. Someone needs to start... Communicating ah. with the Tooth Fairy about <laughs> these grants, about Tooths? the research we can do—tooth
0: yeah, sand—is that yeah. what you're suggesting? I don't yeah, we're we gonna make
1: concrete with it. Yeah. Oh. Look, if this is your first episode of SciShow Tangents, this is it. Congratulations! <laughs> thank you so much. And if you're wondering which episode to send to a friend, and you're like, "Well, I'd like to, people, more people, to know," this is the one. Yeah. This is the one. This is the one that put you over the edge. You're like, it's got a. a, a Imagine Dragon song in it. <laughs> <laughs> the first part's all about vampire diaries for some reason. Both of the fact-off yeah. facts were just out, out, totally unhinged and amazing <laughs> uh, human endeavors. Uh, but and the, and you're not even done yet because now it's time to ask the science couch where we ask a listener question to our finely honed virtual couch of
0: scientific minds. James on Discord asks. How did we determine fatal dosages of radiation other than error? I'm hoping nobody trialed that.
2: I think most of it is from people who have died from radiation exposure. So it's not, like, intentional trials in as much as, like, war is an intentional trial. Mm. Uh, But, like, one of the biggest um, research institutes for it uh, is the Radiation Effects Research Foundation, the RERF, which... Uh, is a collaboration between Japan and the United States. And a a lot of what we know about lethal doses and cancer frequencies and stuff has been by studying long-term health records of the survivors of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So that at least in English language is is where most of what we know comes from, as far as like risk to cancer, exposure to different amounts of radiation, LD50. Um, We study with radiation, it's specifically LD50 slash 30 is is the figure I found uh, more than once. I don't know, Um, which is... uh, the dose of radiation expected to cause death to 50% of an exposed population within 30 days because radiation sickness has to set in. It's not like an immediate vaporization at the, the amounts that we have on Earth.
1: That makes sense. And um, uh, the the ability uh, of people to take the opportunity to continue to learn uh, is pretty... That it's, it seems like the right thing, uh, especially because like it's not like we are done with radiation on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, and also like it, it's a super important thing when it comes to space travel. Like it, it's just, right. I guess you could swaddle yourself in fungus, but we don't have uh, solutions to all of those problems yet. If you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week, or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to Buns on Discord at BoyWithHeadache and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. Did you laugh at the way I said Buns? No, I just
0: <laughs> laughed because of buns I love okay. buns both
2: at the way you said
1: it and the name buns <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out it's super easy to do that first you can go to patreon.com slash tangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our silly little bonus episodes second you can leave us a review wherever you listen that helps us know what you like about the show and also it helps other people learn about the show and finally if you want to show your love for scishow tangents just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us thank you for joining us I've been Hank Green
2: I've been Sari Riley,
1: And I've been Sam Schultz Sideshow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz Our editor is Seth Glixman Our story editor is Alex Billow Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazzio. Our editorial assistant is Daboki Chakravarti Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon, of course Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted But one more thing. The Hanford site in the US churned out radioactive plutonium during the 1940s during the Manhattan Project and is now a huge government cleanup project. Ongoing efforts involve searching for radioactivity with detectors mounted on helicopters so they can monitor for any unexpected leaks and waste can be disposed of safely. Now, Rabbits or other small wildlife can burrow into contaminated areas without realizing it and lick up the radioactive salts, and because uh, what goes in must come out. they leave radioactive poop piles across eastern Washington, and that poop is radioactive enough to get picked up by these detectors and become one more thing that needs to be cleaned up. Although, it is apparently not a top priority.
2: Just looking for the big spills, and then
1: it's a little rat. Aw, man, Jim, it's another rat poop. It's another freaking rat poop. (laughs)